Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you are visiting with us this morning, uh, we welcome you as our guest. We are glad that you're here. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you also. It is wonderful that we have already had such a wonderful weekend. We look forward to the rest of this day, but yesterday we had almost 300 that were here as a part of our egg hunt, our spring egg hunt, and it is encouraging and just exciting to see little ones and see the gift that God gives us, the energy that they bring and the blessing that they bring to our life. And Mike Eeks wanted me to be sure and mention to you, those of you that helped with that, thank you for all of your help. Those of you that attended and invited, we're glad that you did and we're glad that you're here this morning. We do want to remind you that in a couple of weeks we'll have a single mom's car clinic and it will be helping individuals at a time in our economy right now that's tough and this is a way to reach out and to make a difference in the lives in, in the small, but yet hopefully a meaningful way. And so there'll be all changes available, checking fluids, topping those off, checking the belts and et cetera. And so if you know of a single mother, uh, please tell her about this and you can give her one of the brochures that's at the Member Connect kiosk and she can call for an appointment on that. And we look forward to reaching out and making a difference in our community. You remember we're asking the question this year, that if this church ceased to exist today, would anybody in the community notice tomorrow? And we want to reach out and constantly show the love of God, to show the servant's heart, to make a difference, that yes, we would be missed because we want individuals to miss God's family. In a couple of weeks will be Friends Day. If you're visiting with us today, we'd love for you to come back tonight and Wednesday night and next Sunday. We want to especially give you an invitation to come and be a part of our Friends Day. There are brochures, our postcards out in the foyer. Be sure and pick those up. We would love for you to come and be a part of that. Also, you'll notice that at 4 o'clock on that Sunday afternoon, we'll have a worship service at Charlie Daniels Park. Now, for those that uh, it would be more uh, convenient for you, there'll be a 6 o'clock service here. But there, there will be shuttles, there will be handicap parking, there will even be a shuttle to take you from your handicap parking literally right up to your seat. And so we expect most people to be there. There will be a small gathering here perhaps, but we are looking forward to being there, looking forward to inviting our friends and just filling the park up uh, with a wonderful afternoon and evening, but especially filling the park up with us and with our friends to worship God together and to reach out and to be in the midst of our community and let them know of the love of God. So be sure and be making your plans for that. Be sure and be making your invitations and look forward to a wonderful, wonderful way in which we can reach out and make a difference. Many of you probably have read or at least and perhaps even memorized the poem. It begins... Listen, my children, and you shall hear of the midnight ride of Paul Revere. On the 18th of April in 75, hardly a man is now alive who remembers that famous day and year. Longfellow wrote that poem, and he did take some poetic license in writing the poem, but nevertheless, it reminds us of that wonderful message that was spread to the colonies so that they could prepare for a time that they needed to defend themselves. You see, the word had already been spread that the British Army was going to try to reach Concord. And there, there was supplies, especially ammunition that was stored. And it was the belief that they could either capture or destroy that ammunition. And so they created a plan that they would watch the harbor after the tea party. And they continued to watch it, that is, the Patriots. 
And they continued to watch until there would be movement. And once it was figured out which way the movement would be, there would be in the steeple of the church one lantern if it, the British army was to come by land. There would be two lanterns if they were to come by sea. And when that signal was given, Paul Revere and William Doss began their ride. Paul Revere went to the north and William Doss went to the south. They were to meet at Lexington and finally they did. There they met up with a doctor, Samuel Prescott, and there they sat for some time that evening trying to figure out what they should do. They'd already been warning people along the way, not the British are coming. Remember, they all were British. They warned the people, the regulars are coming out. That was the, to say the British army, the regulars are coming out. They decided that they needed to make Concord by morning and they began their travels. But along the way, they were held up by the British Army at gunpoint. It was Samuel Prescott was the one who was able to make his horse jump a wall. And the other two were detained, but yet he and only he was able to make it to Concord. The first battle of the Revolutionary War was in Lexington and Concord. And those individuals, as described here in the 19th century painting, was made up of what became known as Minutemen. It was farmers, their sons, and sometimes even their wives and their daughters. You see, they had a cause that they believed that they ought to be involved in, a cause that was worth giving their life. But I remind you this morning as we consider this lesson, none of that could have been available, none of it could have been timely if there would not have been for that message, that message that began by those that were watching the harbor, that were putting the lanterns inside the steeple of the church, and those that rode along the way, those that had a message to say, prepare. This morning, I want to ask you, do you believe in a message of life? Do you believe as we have just sung of the wonderful words of life? Do you realize that those words, the words of life, that's not some kind of poetic reasoning that man has given, but that is the way God Himself describes the message that's found in the Scriptures but yet too often times we find ourselves in bondage. When we think of the things that capture our hearts, that capture our minds, and eventually capture our lives today, we see that the battle for freedom even continues today. We see greed. We see alcohol and drug addiction. We see materialism. We see lying, shoplifting, stealing. When we go to Galatians, the fifth chapter, we see the works of the flesh. And we realize that this works of the flesh is much greater than sometimes what we call the big sins. Whereas God helps us to realize that all sin can take our life captive. And when we read in Galatians the 5th chapter in verse 19 and 20, we do read things like adultery and fornication and murder. But friends, we also read of things that take over our life. Things like dissension, things like contentions, things like jealousy and envy. You see, when we have been going through this wonderful series about Acts, and we stop and consider what put Jesus on the cross, it was envy, the Scriptures tells us, that puts Jesus on the cross. And now already, as we reach the text this morning that's already been capably read, we remember from a week or two back in the third and fourth chapter, and now we're in the fifth chapter, and each time we learn that the problem that confronts the church is those on the outside that were the religious neighbors, they were envious. Friends, what is it that holds you captive? 
Is there a sin in your life or perhaps multiple sins that you've not been able to shake? If you had to describe your life, those would be a description of your life. There's not anybody here perfect, but friends, we don't want a sin to be a description of our life. We want sins and mistakes to be the exceptions that's made in our life. We want to be freed from the shackles of bondage. We do not want vices controlling us. We do not want bad habits of sin sinking us deeper. We want freedom. As the colonies heard a message and they prepared to make themselves free, I beg you this morning, will you hear a message of a resurrected Lord? A message that Jesus Christ came to produce and the apostles spent their life in the beginning of the church was all about individuals hearing this message of life and allowing that to make a difference in everything that we are. When we look at the scroll of the book of Acts and we come over to this fifth chapter that we've had us read a few verses, we see a powerful story. I want to remind you what happened just a few verses before this story. You see, a few verses before this story, the miracles that the apostles were able to work were absolutely amazing. As a matter of fact, because they were able to heal so many individuals, more were coming. The scripture says that those who were sick were being laid out in the streets on couches and beds. And that when Peter would walk by, his shadow would be cast over them and they would be healed. Imagine how that word would spread. If you had someone that was very sick that you loved dearly, how far would you travel for them to be able to be healed? Well, no wonder we then read in Acts the 5th chapter that people began coming from surrounding cities because they heard of this healing and they wanted the apostles to be able to heal them. But you see, this caused people to hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ. This caused them to hear the wonderful words of life. This caused the church to grow. Now keep in mind what happened just shortly ago in Jerusalem. Remember that as one gained attention to Christ, it was Christ himself, and the disciples increased. You remember it was envy that they had for Jesus that they hung him on the cross. And now those same people were becoming envious of his disciples because now the church was continuing to grow by thousands and thousands. And it wasn't by trained rabbis. It was simply by the men who loved Jesus and were disciples of His. And so as we see in the text in the 17th and the 18th verse, they laid hands on the apostles and they put them into prison. But that night, an angel came and was going to release them from prison. Now pause with me here for just a moment. You've been thrown into prison and someone that is an angel of the Lord is going to come and let you out in the middle of the night. Now keep in mind, you've been thrown into prison because the cause of which you are part of has been growing and because you have been one that has been speaking forcefully about this cause, you've been thrown into prison. And so when the angel of the Lord comes and lets you out, where are you going to go? Hey, Let's go to the edge of town. Let's lay low for a day or two. And then let's slip out of town when they've taken their eyes off of us. No, remember what the angel of the Lord said in verse 20. Look there again in Acts 5 and verse 20. The angel of the Lord opens the prison doors in 19 and brought them out safely. In 20, the angel said, go 
stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And in 21, they heard it. They entered the temple early in the morning and they taught. Go, not to flee, go to the temple, to the public place. Stand right back in the middle of the people. The sacrifices, the early morning sacrifices would be made at this time. And so you can imagine the sun rising. As the sun rising, everybody's coming to hear or to see the sacrifices being offered. And then in the midst of the temples, these same courageous men. But what were they to do? I want you to notice that again in 20. They were to speak to the people all the words of this life. Please don't ever read that phrase again the same. What were they to preach? Their life life was at risk. They had just gotten out of prison. What were they to do? Flee for their life? No. Go stand in the midst of the people and speak to them the words of this life. What are the words of this life? Have you ever stopped to think about that as we read through the book of Acts? We read words of life. When we hear Jesus describing his life, he speaks of words of life. What are the words of life? I'd like for you to notice that when they were taken back and brought, if you will, arrested back into captivity again, they're out preaching in the temple that morning, which it almost has to bring a smile to your face, the the humor that's involved, at least if you are not one of the ones being arrested at that time. The Sanhedrin council would have gathered the next morning, and you can imagine them in their nice uh, robes that set them apart from all the other religious people. They had their fringes, their, their certain hymns that they had. They had their special seats in the temple and in the synagogue. They would have probably even had a part of the, the guard and the, the guards around them. And you can imagine they were very sophisticated and very arrogant. And you can imagine they gather and then they say in the following verses, go and, and bring the apostles out of prison and, and bring them before us. And as their, their one is sent, the one comes back and describes in 23, indeed, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened the doors, we found no one inside. And so the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things. They wondered what the outcome would be. Now imagine this. So one came and told them saying, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Can you imagine that? So they sin to have them arrested and they bring them back. And as they bring them back, they tell them two things that they hate that they're doing. Number one, in verse 28, they tell them, look, this is in the middle of 28, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. And number two, and intend to bring this man's blood on us. You see, what stirred them was, you're still talking about Jesus, and we still hate Jesus. And not only that, now that the number of disciples is growing and multiplying so much, everybody that loves Jesus is going to hate us. Because you're telling people who murdered him. And yes, it was us. So now, you're just pouring more and more of this man's blood on our hands. Now, We've covered all that to get to this this morning. And here's the point that not only do we want to make, but we want to go through the scriptures and drive this home. What was the message that was the words of life? When they are brought back even before the Sanhedrin council, they still 
are preaching the words of life. So when finally Peter has an opportunity to answer, I'd like for you to notice, as we read here in Acts the 5th chapter in verse 30, notice what he says. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. C.H. Dodd in a book entitled The Apostolic Preaching and the Development of It. He makes a distinction that I'm not suggesting to you that the distinction has to be made in these words. He simply uses two Greek terms. And even though the the exact terminology is not that important, the point that he makes is absolutely brilliant. He says that what the apostles were doing here was preaching the kerygma of the gospel. And he says there's also a didache of the gospel... And the Didache would deal with the moral law, the ethical law, and and some of the religious doctrine. But then we back up and say, well, what was the kerygma? Well, let's go back over here just a moment and and let's just mention some things and then we'll understand the other better. When Jesus went and and preached a sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew the 5th, 6th, and 7th chapter, that was Didache. That was moral behavior. That was how to treat your neighbor. That's how to turn the other cheek. That's how when you judge, make sure you judge righteous judgment by first removing the plank that's in your own eye so that you can see to judge properly how to remove the speck is in your brother's eye. And so too often times in Christianity, we come straight to this. When we talk to our neighbors, we come straight to this. I tell you what you need to do. You need to clean your life up. You need to learn how to live for the Lord. But note this, in the book of Acts, where did the apostles always begin? They didn't begin with the moral and ethical teachings. They began with the kerygma. They began with the wonderful words of life. Because it is not until we see Jesus as our Savior that we will be willing to make the sacrifices that it takes to follow His will. Well, what is the gospel? We see the things, as you see on the bottom of your screen there, these and one other mentioned almost every time in the kerygma. We see the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and of course, oftentimes we see in between those two the burial, and then we see the proof. Each time the apostles saying, we are witnesses. You remember Acts the first chapter in verse 3? That not only was Jesus going to be resurrected, but there was going to be infallible proof of his resurrection. There were so many that saw him, it was proved over and over. No one can debate whether or not Jesus was resurrected. This is the kerygma. This is the wonderful words of life. There was one that loved you so much that he died on the cross for your sins and he entered in the realm of the dead because he loves you so much. And God is so powerful that he was able to raise him from the dead, giving you and I hope. If Jesus Christ was still in the grave, we could go stand by the grave and we could pat the grave and say, isn't this wonderful that inside this grave is a man that loved us so much that he died for us, but that would mean nothing to you and me as it relates to eternal life. All we could say was, well, if Jesus 
went to the grave and remained there. We're going to go to the grave and we're going to remain there and there's no hope. But the grave was found empty because Jesus Christ was resurrected and that gives you and I hope. And he didn't just come back to this earth, but he ascended into heaven to sit on the right hand throne of God and he reigns. He is powerful. He has all authority even over Satan himself. I'd like for you to turn with me, if you will, be backing up to John, the sixth chapter. And I would like to flip through just a few passages and allow us to see how the gospel speaks to this charisma. Do you remember when Jesus was on this earth, he had many people that follow him, multitudes of disciples would follow him. And John, the sixth chapter, though, he begins to speak to a group that is following him. And as he does... They said, back all the way up in verse 60, that this is a hard saying, what he was saying. And he even asked them in 61, does it offend you? But notice, he wasn't going to change his message. Why? When we look in 63, he says, the words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. Do you see why Jesus couldn't change the message? I want you to pretend that right here is Jesus' words. This is life. But over here is anything other than Jesus' words. I want to emphasize that. Anything other than Jesus' words. It doesn't matter what it is. Anything other than Jesus' words. These are much easier, at least it appears. These are much easier to live. And here's some individuals says, Lord, we're hearing your words and they're hard. You're asking a lot of us. You're demanding a huge sacrifice. Lord, we don't know if we want these words. The Lord can't say, oh... I'll change them because if you change them to anything else, they're no longer words of life. And so Jesus stays with the word because his words are life. And the people, a great multitude turns and walks away. Now envision that in your mind. A huge multitude is gathered and a great many of them now are turned and walking away. And at that point, Jesus looks around to his 12 apostles. Over his shoulder, the apostles are seeing the multitude turning away from Jesus, never to follow again, these that are leaving. And he says, will you go also? And you remember what Peter's answer was when he said in 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Can you imagine Peter saying, in other words, Lord, I don't have everything figured out about this kingdom business. I don't have everything figured out about how you're going to be the Savior. Because remember, when Jesus talked about dying on the cross, Peter was the one saying, Lord, I'm not going to let it happen. Peter could have honestly said, Lord, there's a lot of things that I don't understand. But he said, I understand this. You are the words of life. You are the words of eternal life. Where else would we go? That's why when we go to Acts, the second chapter, and we see literally the beginning of the church. What's going to be preached the beginning of the church? Is it going to be a a conduct that needs to be followed? Is it going to be moral behavior? No, instead, if you can see the screen, we're going to scan just a few things here. You see there, beginning in Acts, the second chapter, in 22, we have Jesus of Nazareth identified. And then in 23, we see that, it, that he has been crucified. Notice these key points. In 24, God raised him up. And then speaking of his burial by using David's words out of Psalm, he says that the Holy One would not seek corruption, talking about his burial. And then in 31, we see the resurrection. And then in 32, it says, of which we were all witnesses. And 33, 
3, he's been exalted to the right hand of God. What were the words of life? The crucifixion, the burial, the resurrection, the proof of the resurrection and the ascension and even the proof of the ascension. Why? Because the apostles were eyewitnesses that they had seen all of those things. They had seen Jesus on the cross. They'd seen Him go to the tomb. They'd seen Him resurrected. And they had seen Him ascend into heaven. The word witness not only bears the idea of eyewitness, but the word witness comes from the same root of martyr. In other words, it's one that believes in something to a point that they would die for it. So you go up to Peter and you hold a sword over him and you say, listen, stop telling people that Jesus Christ was resurrected. I'm a Sadducee. I don't believe in a resurrection. And I'm tired of hearing this business. Well, what does a witness mean? When it says he's a witness, literally, I'm I'm not giving you application. I'm talking literally in the root of the word. Literally, what it means is, Peter is saying, I have seen it and I will die before I say otherwise. And so we ask ourselves, you know, people today, the religious community loves to use the word witness. I want to witness about Jesus. Well, one problem is we haven't been an eyewitness. We haven't seen the death, the burial, and the resurrection. But if you want to use the word in this sense, are you willing to be a martyr? Will you give up everything before you say, I give up on Jesus? Because that is how the word is used throughout the book of Acts. What were the words of life? The words of life was about a Savior who gave all and a God who could resurrect Him and about those that saw it and they gave proof and that He ascended into heaven and that He's coming back again. When you go to Acts the third chapter, if you'll notice this was after the lame man was healed and he began... The apostles began to be questioned, Peter and John. And notice if you'll have your Bible open or if you're looking at the screen there, notice in verse 15 how all this is in one short verse. And they killed the prince of life, that's crucifixion, whom God raised, that is the resurrection, from the dead of which we are witness. We have seen all this and we will not stop saying it. You see, because right now they literally are beginning to turn on Peter and John. But we are witnesses. We're not going to stop saying it. Then in the very next chapter, in the fifth chapter, they arrest them. They beat them. But what's the answer? The answer is we will not stop saying it. What's the point? Friends, let this resonate in your heart. When we try to convert people to a moral doctrine, Oh, you, don't, you know you don't need to be shacking up with your girlfriend there. What's wrong with you? You need to do right. Why would anybody avoid fornication if they don't know the words of life? I tell you what, you just need to be a better neighbor. You are all the time gossiping about your neighbor. Why would anybody stop gossiping about their neighbor if they do not know the words of life? Until I recognize the fact that I am a sinner and I am lost without a Savior. And the only hope that I have is that there was a Jesus who died on the cross in my place. He died in my place. And God resurrected Him. And He reigned on this earth. And He ascends into heaven. And right now He reigns on heaven and on earth. And He's coming again. And when I believe that, friends, it doesn't matter what Christ asked me then. I'll say, yes, sir. 
I'll bow my knees and say, Lord, I submit to you in everything. This morning, what God offers us is words of life. And when we see those words of life, then we'll have a response like they had in Acts 5. Back to our text in 29. We ought to obey God rather than man. We ought, we must obey God. We will have a heart that is willing to sacrifice like Acts 5, 40 and following. You see in 41, they were beaten in 40 and in 41 rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame in his name. In 42, they did not cease to teach and to preach daily. This morning, I offer you the words of Thomas Paine after the Revolutionary War. He said, we have it in our power to begin the world again. They knew if they could stay strong, they could have a fresh start. Do you realize that that's what the Lord is offering us? The words of life are an opportunity to begin afresh to begin as a new creation and to have a hope that we would never have otherwise. As we think about the words of life, let's make sure that they are words that's made a difference in our life. If you've never become a Christian, we'd love to help you with that this morning. If you're a believer, willing to repent of sins and confess to be baptized into Christ for the remission of those sins. Or if you have further questions or want to study, we simply want to help you take a step closer to learning and living those words of life. Perhaps you've become a Christian and somewhere along the way you've lost the way and you want to come back to that Savior and to those words. You need to confess sin and pray forgiveness. Friends, that tomb was found empty. And that brought us a message that the Lord would say are words of life. Let them be life to you. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing.